and welcome to the first episode of Keeping Your House Warm, where we share property-related stories. Some good, some bad, and some so extreme that we laugh about it. And hopefully you'll laugh with us too. My name is Anthony, and sitting next to me is my co-host, Keelan. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining us today. Right, so we may as well get straight into it. So our first story comes from a place out of town, way out of town, north of Dunedin to be more specific. Uh, this is a pretty crazy story <laughs> yep. where a tiny little boat shed sold for $95,000. Yep, you heard that right. It is 95 big ones. And there's nothing uh, even special about it. it. It's just a regular old boat shed. It's yep. not, you know, some fully renovated, glorified house. It's it's just a boat shed. It is literally just a shack on the waterfront. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So the bidding actually started at $40,000, but it quickly went up to that amount. I mean... Uh, the, <laughs> it sounds like the real estate agents got really quite excited with it because um, quite quickly it looks like the real estate agent ended up taking off his jandal <laughs> and slapping that down as the hammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I hilarious. guess the description for this uh, boat shed uh, was labeled as picturesque. You know, there were interests um, from people even um, who lived in Wellington and Tauranga. So it, there was quite a bit of a buzz around it. I'm not really sure why. <laughs> if you look at the photos on one roof, uh, the story uh, might still be there, but that, I mean, that price doesn't seem, I mean, that price seems a lot for me for a great view and a little tiny boat shed. And a tiny little boat shed. It, it doesn't even look like it's got a jetty for you to launch off your boat. It, it, um, yeah. it looks like it's quite elevated. Yeah, and well, keep in mind this boat shed doesn't have power and water or sewage connection. So you can't live in it. You, you can't yeah. do any of that. It won't be fit for habitation. But um, I mean, I guess that just kind of goes to show that that property is still, no matter the size or shape, is still something which is always going to interest people here in New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> whether you can live in it or not, it's still going to be attractive to buy. I mean, there was that boat shed that did sell a couple of years back up in Auckland uh, for an amazing 1.2 million. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm not entirely certain. I think this is a slightly different scenario here, being that it's like a heritage site and it's been well maintained. So for a $1.2 million house or boat shed, I would say, sorry, you know, it's a bit different. I mean, if you look at the photos that come up compared to the boat shed sold older compared to now, the 1.2 million one, it's a that's a way different scenario. Yeah, it looks better. It was it's already been renovated, and they do use this uh, boat shed in Auckland for um, some filming for a show that I forgot the title from. Um, so it is being used uh, quite well for 1.2 million dollars in Auckland, and I think the one thing that would justify this price and these kinds of prices for a boat shed um, is that they don't make these anymore, uh, from what I from I can gather. Um, so there's a level of uh, rarity. Mm. That the purchaser was like chasing for for a long time apparently and i mean you, you certainly got that with the uh the 90 dollars boat shed you got your own little slice right there on the water but um yeah it's even bigger if you look at the 1.2 up in half moon bay <laughs> uh, but yeah. The, yeah, the weird thing about these places is that you can't live in them the, the, no in both cases neither of them is fit for residential so you can't live in them so for you to own it is purely just for your place mm. to hang out. Yeah, I mean, if you're an older couple or getting into retirement, I guess, uh, you know, you'd probably want something a bit more romantic like this, tiny, not necessarily a big batch type thing, but it could act as a batch if you're just, you know, you and your wife or a husband can just, you know, spend a relaxing time 
on the water for a weekend just to get away from all the busyness. Mm. I mean, it almost kind of looks like it's the, the way that um, the $1.2 million one, that one's kind of more packed, almost like a tiny home, minus you know your bed and your living space, really. Oh, um, great segue there, <laughs> So speaking of tiny homes, who's into them? <laughs> hey, I mean, a tiny home, is pretty nice, I yep. will admit, uh, being that I'm from the generation of people which seem to be absolutely flocking to them. And then nice small little houses, I mean, you know, easily transportable, you can sit them wherever you want, you've got your full bed, you've got your kitchen, and I mean, for what you pay, you know, being around that 100K mark, you usually get something quite nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I guess that's really they the They can attraction. go a bit cheaper though, right? Oh, I mean, if you're looking, I think something smaller quality, literally being that it's like a camper van, almost mm. like a renovated camper van on wheels, like it's just the wheelbase, really. Yeah. Although I did, see, I did see a meme that um, tiny homes, if you have a lot of them, it's just really uh, a nicer way of saying trailer park. And it does look nicer, but essentially if you are comparing it to a trailer park, it does look like one because you do need still to rent out a plop of land somewhere, so you're kind of still renting. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's probably the one one point which um, a few people may be overlooking is that it's a bit harder to actually park them. <laughs> mm, yeah. If you don't own the if you don't own the land, yeah. it's very hard. Yeah. And again, there's nothing against the people who want to get into tiny homes. They are cool. They are practical. And if you don't necessarily uh, need the space, um, or you want you, the mortgage, even. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great way of, um, I guess, another you know, to help out the housing um, shortage. Mm. But it is, again, there are things, you know, if you are putting down 100K, and let's say houses these days on average in Auckland are about a million, so that's essentially your deposit. So I, I mean, again, it's totally up to you. Um, I guess for me, it's personally, if I do have that 100K, that's essentially my 10% deposit mm. for a house. Mm. So entirely up to you. They are cool though. Yeah. I still I want my big TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I don't think you can get to park your big, big TV in a tiny little home. I don't think that quite works together. But I think one thing a lot of uh, tiny home enthusiasts don't really consider is the, the long-term practicality of it. For an older couple or um, somebody who's not intent on maybe growing a family or having a secured retirement plan in the future, that's where your tiny home is going to start suiting you really well. Because you've got your home, that's it, you're sorted. You have very little debt by the end of it. Um, and there you go. But for anybody who's got those intentions to grow a family, which for a lot of young people, that's still very much the case, or for those that are looking at using property as a secured retirement plan so they've got somewhere to live later in life, a tiny home doesn't really suit that bill. Yeah. Because it's a lot harder to sell those things on once you've got them, because you pay top price to get the brand new ones, but then you've only got a second hand. Yeah. And it's similar to your car as well. Once you buy the car, that's it. Yeah. You, you've immediately devalued your car. <laughs> so selling it, it's now a secondhand vehicle. Yeah. So it becomes a lot tougher to be able to sell those on. Mm. So it really comes down to what your, what your plan is. But I mean, I still find myself occasionally looking at a tiny home, <laughs> even though that I have got a nice, a, a nice decent section in the house now, I find myself still looking at those properties, uh, those little tiny homes and just going, man, this is some really easy living because I don't have to go far from my bed to the kitchen. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it does sound enticing. I do have a friend who actually is building his tiny home. So he's a builder, so it does work out for him where he can get everything a bit cheaper um, and then he can just build it himself. But uh, again, he is sort of renting out a 
plot of land. So essentially he's still renting. And also he's all the way out in Helensville because there's no really, there's not a lot of land in, you know, close to the city mm. to put these homes. It's not a car. It's also not just a trailer. It is quite large for yeah. what it is. They do take up a decent amount yeah. of space. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate, but the only way to really afford these other than cash is to go to some small peer-to-peer -peer lender or second Oh, the main tier. banks won't do it? Main banks won't touch it with a 10-foot pole, oh. um, which is a bit disappointing, but at the same time, I kind of get where they're coming from. And I think it's for the simple fact that because the tiny home is so tiny, you could literally chuck it on a trailer and drive away with it. Mm. So it's really hard for them to be able to know that, you're, that the security that they've got isn't just going to get driven away and they're gonna lose their money. Because I mean, you know, like when the case of a house, the house is obviously going to be stuck to the ground and you know you've purchased the land as well so for them to be comfortable to giving you that money to afford that it's really simple because mm. how on earth are you going to drive away with a big section of land <laughs> so it's really tough it's really tough for them on the tiny homes to be able to give you up any lending mm. for it so you usually have to fund that entirely with cash yeah which yeah. i mean for a lot of new zealanders at the moment with the way that um Cost of living is starting to creep up with what everything else is going on in the world. You know, fuel prices, um, food, um, basic essentials, those are all starting to climb up now. Yeah, I had a look at a government website and uh, for the past year, inflation has gone up 6.9%. And that's quite a lot for mm. one year. But I guess COVID helps that out a bit as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least, I mean, it's good to see as a plus though, is that interest rates are still sitting cheaper than that which is actually a positive in that. Because if it's cheaper for you to repay than have your money sitting in a bank and losing that inflation, you're actually gonna be winning. Yeah. So there is actually a nice bit of a positive behind that. Although interest rates still aren't as cheap as they were a year ago. I would, I would love for them to be as cheap still as they were a year ago, but you know, unfortunately that is where we're current, sit, currently sitting at the market for interest rates, which has made it a lot tougher as well, you know, with everybody else trying to fold homes. Mm. What, is, what is sort of the average interest rate now? Because I, I do remember Westpac changing it three times in two weeks. Yeah, Westpac uh, has recently decided to jump on the bandwagon. So the main idea behind most of the main banks is that they do like to stay really competitive to each other because there's no real benefit for either one of them to be cheaper than the others because they all have their own um, strengths and weaknesses when it comes to offering home loans for people. So at the moment, if one bank decides to be cheaper than the others, others will probably still just end up following the same because they've all got that same kind of cost to profit margins for these lendings. So at the moment, we're currently sitting around uh, that 4.99 to uh, for a two-year rate. Mm. But for say the shorter terms, if you're looking between like one, one year, uh, you're probably sitting around that early fours, so I think it's like 4.19 to about 4.2, uh, depending on who you're talking with. But so I mean, if we look back a year ago, for example, uh, I think back a year ago we we're probably only sitting around 2.3, 2.4 maybe at the max. Yeah, really low. Yeah. So we've had a bit of a jump since then. Yeah. But there's been a lot of things which have um, obviously played a big part in that. Not only is it we've got the war in Ukraine going on at the moment, which has been tossed around quite a lot as a justification for a lot of these interest rates. There's obviously that the OCR, the official cash rate from the Reserve Bank has increased. So um, for those of you out there who just don't really, uh, not entirely on top of how it all works, when the OCR gets increased, which is the official cash rate, the banks will react as well. 
because the cash rate is basically how much money gets produced every year from the banks. And what happens there is that as a result, your dollar becomes less. So say for example, you had, I think the most easiest one is that you have, if you have two bananas and somebody else only has one banana, one banana is more valuable because it's the only banana, yeah. but if you've got two bananas, there's two it's bananas, nice. so it's not worth as much. And so what happens is, is then, because the bank's money's dropping a little bit down in value, they increase their rates. We've got too many bananas. Too many bananas out there, basically, guys, uh, which is a bit of a shame. But as a result of that, on a plus side, is that we actually start to see house prices start to plateau or slow down quite a lot compared to last year. Um, I mean, if we're looking at the start of last year, um, a property which is worth about $800,000 is probably worth now around 1.1 to 1.2 in that space of a year. So, you know, it's grown, it's got added about two, $300,000 in value in that time alone. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously with the house prices nowadays, we've started to really slow it down. So as a result of interest rates increasing, more expensive for people to get mortgages and loans for investors and stuff as well lot harder for them to afford so what they've had to do is, is that house prices have had started to drop is that the only reason though because i did hear someone say that it, the house market is turning into a buyer's market keelan why don't you tell us what a buyer's market is so a buyer's market is where the buyers are in control so before if we're looking back for the last years during you know the the pandemic and everything that's been going on we were in more of a seller's market being the case that those who were selling the properties were in control. If you were selling a property, you had a premium over those who were looking to buy. So because people had less options to choose from, your property was now worth more in their eyes because they ran out of options, right? Yeah. But now what's happening is, is that it's flipped. So nowadays what it is, is, is that because we've got so many people selling, it's uh, become a case that there are so many people out there selling their homes is that there's so many houses out there for people to choose from. Yeah. It's so again, too many bananas. Too many bananas, so that the bananas are worth less. And, um, and that's also caused um, a bit of a slowdown from developers as well. Because in most cases, they'll be doing um, the buy and sell or a flipping strategy where they'll buy a property, renovate it, develop it, and then try to quickly offload it as fast as possible. Mainly because where they're getting their money from has um, got a time limit on it. Usually they can only get six to 12 months to return that money that they've borrowed. Um, whereas if you go through the main banks and you're looking at just buying a home to live in, you can usually get up to 30 years. So that's what's really happened now is that because there started to become pressure on those that are forcing to sell their homes, there's so many out there that you can just choose from a lot more. If you don't yeah. get that one house that you're interested in, that's all right. There's another one down the street. <laughs> just go take that one. Sure, they'd be happy to give you a better deal for it. So you just walk around. You just keep shopping. There's so many other options out there. You don't need to stick and focus on this one property because it's your only option. And that's what it's become. It's become a buyer's market now yeah. where you've got the right to choose which house a lot more freely. Yeah. So what do you, why do you think, though, a lot of people are selling? I think a lot of people are probably at the point now where they're selling otherwise because they feel that they can no longer afford their mortgages. Yeah, I have been getting a lot of mortgagee sales emails. Yes. And I'm not even a finance person. <laughs> I don't know how I get these. I, I look after the video side of Finex 
and I'm getting all these. <laughs> you, you talk to one, you talk to one real estate agent, and you're on his email list for life. <laughs> I get, I get, I think I get like twelve a day from these different um, real estate agents, and I just, I just sit there and I read them, and um, yeah, they're uh, interesting. A lot of what's going on, mm. and I mean, a lot of the mortgagee, it, it, it shouldn't be something which should hugely scare a lot of people. The people that are currently being forced into the mortgagee sales are these large over-leveraged developers. So these are where developers had bought these sections at premium prices with intentions to develop and sell them for even more of a premium. Yeah, so one good example of that is um, a Sunny Nook Central one. Uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago more specifically, um, where it was supposed to be 15 terrace houses. But then, yeah, the developer went bust and had to basically close up shop and try and sell off what he could. And then in that same week, a Pamuor development went down, and that's 12 houses. Also includes an apartment unit on the same site. So yeah, really big projects in the same week that didn't really work out. And that's, I think, Keelan's right. Yeah, and um, unfortunately, that's, that's the case for a lot of developers. If they haven't got cash lines of funding, and they're basing it on a loan, unfortunately their, their loans are gonna start getting really expensive for them to be able to afford. And that also falls back on how fast they can pump out these builds, which also leads into another problem which is going yes. on in the market. No materials. Nope, there is nothing in the market. In this case, no bananas. No bananas at all. So uh, yeah, so another factor which is kind of playing a big part in the market at the moment is construction materials. Uh, as a result of so many people jumping on the bandwagon at the time and pumping out development builds, yep. there's no materials left for them to build it with. So in this case, we've reached the point where there's so many people demanding supplies and materials, but not enough places for them to supply it from. So what's happened here is, is that these developments or these builds have been stretched out longer than their intended process. Mm. And with that, that comes increasing costs on their loans or any borrowings that they've taken. Um, if they're sitting on a short-term loan, you know, that's gonna start running out really soon. And if they can't renew it, that's it. Yeah. They are stuffed. And I think the other result of all of this as well is that um, a lot of developers are asking the buyers for more money. I've had a few friends who have been asked to fork out another 50K, close to 100 even, just so the developer can finish up their site. And like, it is part of the sunset clause and I reckon they should have had their lawyers look at it, but I, I don't think they were um, expecting that much money. Yeah, and that's certainly, a sunset clause has got some really good benefits to it and some really good shortfalls. Because I mean, the intention behind it was to make sure that the developers were gonna be honorable, is that the developers were gonna be able to complete these projects in a, in a decent enough time. Mm. That was what the intention behind it was. But unfortunately, these developers seem to have smarter lawyers than um, this, the buyers. And so yeah. what's happened is, is that it's become a used as a tool for the developers to escape. Um, I do know that that's been happening quite a lot in central Auckland with a lot of the developments that are going on. They've been using it as an escape clause to be able to then sell it on for more money. Or in Australia, for example, developers are actually using it just to get out of their contracts completely because they can't afford to do the builds. Yeah. So they'll use it to escape their contract and then they'll just offload the empty section to somebody else just to help get them out yeah. of their debts. 
Yeah, so if that is you and you are wanting to get into a uh, turnkey type of house, make sure that sunset clause is working for you. And not the developer. <laughs> Just have a talk Do with that. your lawyer, because that's essentially what I did for my new build. Mm. Um, yep. That is, you know, it's on the way and they have had delays, but you know, we did at the start before we signed the sales and purchase agreement, got our lawyer to check the sunset clause and say, um, you know, we needed to amend that part where they need to ask for more, for more money just in case they run out of money mm. and the developer can't ask it from the buyers. So we got that sorted and I think that should be a good encouragement for those guys who are wanting to buy turnkey houses. Yes. But if you're not, then go for it. And I mean, it's probably one thing that a lot of people don't really consider is that the sales and purchase agreement, you know, the actual contract that you sign is, isn't just open to the developers to alter. You have every right to change that yourself. Yeah. Because it's a contract. Both parties have to agree to it. Um, and in the cases of purchasing a new home, you know, there's lots of terms and conditions that you can add in yourself to protect yourself. And um, like you said, with when it comes to a new build, when you're waiting on the construction to actually happen, it's really important that you understand that you can get that changed if you don't like a clause. And it's just about them, your lawyers, trying to work something out with the with their lawyers, really. Yeah. You leave it up to the professionals in that regard. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and most often than not, if the developer is legit and um, he's actually really good at what he's been doing, um, then he wouldn't mind taking that, mm. that clause out. And um, I think it really, yeah, it would really depend on what company that you use. Um, I mean, I've had a couple of clients working with some of the larger construction companies in Auckland, and even in their cases, sometimes things come up. It's unfortunate, but sometimes those things do come up. But it's good that you've got that protection in there for yourself that just says, oh, no, unfortunately, you signed it. Well, you can't ask, you can't charge me any more money. <laughs> this is it. This is the maximum. I signed on this. You're yeah. going to build me a house for this price. All of these factors, whether it being, you know, construction materials, interest rates going up, house prices reducing a little bit um, and plateauing out at the moment. Um, developers starting to possibly look at their defaulting and whether or not they can continue to afford their mortgages is all kind of playing into what uh, a lot of larger economists are viewing as our current market situation. Because I mean, in the past, I think it was pretty straightforward. Um, I think if you're looking back a year where interest rates were really cheap, house prices were really on, high. on the up and up, and it was really clear, the yeah. opinion was pretty much unanimous, is that house prices are good, house prices yeah. are up. So essentially, it all evens out. Yeah, I think it's, it's always going to be the case. It's gonna be great interest rates or a great scenario, but really high prices, yeah. or it's going to be lower prices, and it's going to be really hard fu um, funding scenarios. Mm. And that's always going to be the case. It's yeah. always been that scenario. Something is going to be tough about buying yeah. a house. Yeah, it goes up and down, um, and the market is obviously really, really interchangeable, and there's no point waiting. Like what Keelan said in the other video we did last week was that if you choose to be reactive, then you're the one that's going to get the, the good value for your hard-earned money so I reckon if you do have your deposit now and you are ready to go ahead and get yourself your first house or your second house or whatever it is then just do it you know talk to a mortgage advisor I know our mortgage advisors here um, are constantly helping out people who think they don't have what it takes financially or um, you know emotionally and emotion does does take a whole lot um, into this it is it is a long game yep. and um, if you are wanting to get into investment it's no, there's no quick fix. 
you always have to play things by your own scenario. Um, I think a pretty common saying that gets chucked around at the moment is that you're not you're not trying to buy the whole market. You are trying to buy just one property, or you know you're just trying to manage your own portfolio. So you're always going to be in this scenario. It's whether or not I can keep on top of the interest rate, or is the interest rate one that I can I've got an appetite for. Or is the house price something they've got an appetite for? Because yep. everyone else is on the exact same scenario that you are, is that everyone else is going to be like, oh, great, house prices are really cheap. Can I afford that house? Yeah. Or they're going to be going, oh, damn, house prices are really high, but it's really easy for me to get a mortgage. So how do I choose between the two? And um, it ultimately comes down to what your scenario is. It's what you're looking at, and it's what you are buying. Yeah. Don't worry about anyone else. Care Just focus yourself. on yourself and your family and your future, what your dreams are. And um, if the case is to buy a tiny house, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with owning something that isn't as big as your neighbor. Mm. You just try not to compare yourself with someone else who has a lot because, you know, just worry about you, basically. Yeah. You, the only person you should be competing with is yourself. Yeah. You should always be looking on your past self and going, am I better than where he was? Yeah. Um, I know personally I can say that about myself, is that I'm feeling that I'm in that position. Mm. I'm a lot better than where I wasn't before. Um, if I look back a couple of years, you know, I was unemployed. <laughs> I was unemployed. I had nowhere and I was, yeah. you know, reliant on trying to survive on what I had. But, you know, now I have my property, I have my home and... Um, I'm in a great place now, which is yeah. so much better. So I feel like I'm like that. Yeah. But if I compare myself to some of the other members of staff here <laughs> or anybody else in the market. Yeah, it'll be a sad day. Yeah, it's not good for me. <laughs> I don't feel very good. No, but that's not what I should be doing, yeah. right? I need to compare myself to where I was in the past. Yeah. And, and I think, it. yeah, you are doing well for how old are you now? 24? Something? 24, yeah. Yeah, 24. There you go. First house, 24. If well, you, I mean, you're about to have your first house too, mate. So you can't yeah, leave yourself yeah. out of this nah, equation. Nah, nah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, like Keelan said, I worked really hard for it. And mm. at one point this year even, no, sorry, last year. So very, very short amount of time. I only had five bucks in my bank account. <laughs> really? Yeah. And if it wasn't for um, uh, a good friend, Lillian, who's also a mortgage, uh, a mortgage advisor, uh, telling me to just stop spending money and buying food outside of home. You'll get there eventually, you just need to work hard and know your own goals. Yeah, because I think a lot of people may not consider the future as much. No. Because if you've got that one house, that could be all you, that you'll need for the rest of your life. Yeah, and that's definitely what I wasn't focusing on when I was a teenager or like starting out at uni. Because you know, you're young, you don't really think about the future that much. Um, well, I mean, you did, so well done for that. <laughs> I don't think, I think I fit into a very special case of people. I don't, think, every, I don't think everybody likes yeah. to think that way. Yeah. But it's something that everybody should definitely have a think about. Mm. Just, just even if it's a brief moment, it's just sit there and think about where will I be in the next 10 years? Yeah. What do I want for myself mm. in the next 10 years? And property is definitely one of the simpler ways to go about it because it's somewhere that you can just live and you can just have it work for you in the background. Yeah. Yeah, it's mm. a much simpler way of taking care of things um, compared to when you're looking at trying to start a business or trying to get into um, cryptocurrency. Oh, or don't even start. Not going to get too far <laughs> into that. That's not what this show is about. Um, or yeah. trying to get into stock trading where there's a lot more risk and there's a lot more 
complications that can be involved in that. Yeah. Whereas with property, you own the house, you live in the house, or you rent out the house, and you repay a mortgage. Mm. That's it. Everything else gets taken care of. Um, so yeah, that'll about do it. Mm. I think that's about good for today. I think it's a nice place to leave it. Yeah, so that's our first episode, guys. Thanks for listening in. And if you do have any comments or questions, you can visit us at our website. You can look for Finax Mortgages and Insurance. Or you can find us on Facebook, Lucia Zhao at Finax. Um, Lucia is our big boss, and she is the person that's making all this possible who has a $35 million portfolio. So we are learning from the best. If there's questions that you guys would like us to answer, we would really love to be able to help you out with that. Um, we, yeah, and if you have any feedback for us on how this goes, if you can't hear us or you can hear us, yeah. more jokes, us more bananas, I don't know. I mean, would yeah. you like to hear us eat bananas? I don't, I don't yeah. know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that could be another episode. Yeah, it's a whole other yeah. episode. But anyway, um, we do have a few events coming up. The main one is coming up on May 7th, which is our one day property workshop. Um, now, this is where we uh, teach you the ins and outs of the property world, whether you are a first home buyer, a home owner, or wanting to get into investment. This is essentially a one day crash course on the property market and we'll teach you how to do that. And this is hosted by, again, our fearless leader, Lucia. Um, and again, we'll, you know, you get to talk to us for free. We'll give you some coffee and free sushi, I think. <laughs> so if that's not enough to get you in there, why not? Nothing will. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see you on the next one, guys. Thanks. See, cheers. Bye.